ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to the table uh, for the meeting of the Unknowing Minds. We've got a little bit of a smaller crew this week, which is fine with uh, schedules getting going, practices rocking and rolling. Um, but it is wonderful to have everybody. My name is Matt Eshe, of course, your host, the head cross-country associate head track coach here at UAB. We are excited to have you. Hopefully you were enjoying that wonderful addition or wonderful uh, new music we've had. We've had new music the last couple of weeks uh, by our own uh, Mr. Darren Flowers, Darren Matthews Flowers. Um, that song right there, Fool For You, off of his EP album. Um, unfortunately, he's got some uh, some stuff to do at home, so he's not going to be joining us today. But go ahead to DarrenFlowersBooks.com, take a listen. He's got the whole EP out there. It's um, Last week, we heard a little bit from him as well. He heard the title track. Um, today, we've got you know, his number two track coming out, Fool For You. So we enjoyed. He does a great job. Hell of a musician right there. So that is awesome. But again, welcome, everybody, to the table. Um, we've got a fun little, uh, we've got a great guest, a legendary guest, I guess I would call him that way, especially in the state of Illinois and, and, and high schools up there. We'll get to him in a second. But um, so sit back, relax, let's pop a top or you know, get some sweet tea going, get the coffee, whatever the case might be, you want to drink. Uh, I'm finishing up a little coffee right now. Um, so it might sound like I've got a lot of energy, but man, it's all that caffeine right there for you. So let's get this meeting going and get the table going. But um, as always, uh, well, actually, yeah, as always, he's been here from the start um, out in Nevada, lounging around, lounging around, relaxing until he gets a chance to get with his athletes. We got Scott Williamson on the podcast. Scott, how we doing? Doing well. You know, we we got a few more weeks before uh, things kind of get rocking and rolling here. So, uh, you know, but glad that, uh, you know, you got things going. So looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, we're, we're one of the lucky few for UAB Cross Country Conference USA to actually have a full season schedule set. Eventually, look at social media. We'll be putting stuff out there. Um, we got the man who now realizes there is nothing in the background. There is no more books. He's not reading anything. Um, he's changed it. Oh, well, oh, there they are. Still can't read them. So it's probably more just cartoon books, you know, whatever the case might be. Darren may have actually written some books for you, you know. But I was going to say, I, I had to add his uh, children's book to my repertoire over there so that I could get caught up and learn something. Hopefully. <laughs> Oh, man, we got Mike Gerr from Indiana there. Um, the wonderful jumps multi is extraordinaire. And yeah, Clementang, I think that's what Darren's book was. Am I right? That's what I hear. Yeah. Check yeah. it out. That was, it's hilarious. Check it out. Again, DarrenFlowersBooks.com. We're giving him more press when he's not here than when he is here. Man, this is awesome. Um, we have him. He's in and out today. He's actually practicing. He's at practice with the triple jumpers, I believe. See if we can get him to say at least hi. We got John Bell from St. Louis University down there sweating his bald head off. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I've got a little triple jump. I'm actually in my sixth hour of practice today. been at the track since uh, 6 a.m. So uh, we're going strong, but uh, excited to, to hop on a little podcast action here today. And it's awesome to have you. I know you're working your tail off. And just for the record, that's six hours of him coaching. That's not six hours per day of one athlete. You know, we don't want to get him in trouble. With the doing <laughs> that too is much. correct. I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't break NCAA rules ever. <laughs> this is actually true. I know that about um, and then we have probably a gentleman who has been along around coaching. He's in his 23rd year, the NV at Nequa Valley up in Illinois, Upper Naperville, Illinois. Uh, we have legendary uh, Coach Paul Vandersteen joining us today. Coach, how are we doing today? Fantastic. I uh, appreciate you having me with you. Man, it's an honor to have you with us. I mean, you've got, you've got an incredible bio we're going to jump into here for a little bit and some questions, I think, from from a college coaching standpoint that, you know, we need to ask and we need to learn about. I think there's always stuff that we can learn from. 
But as always, we like to jump in. The first thing we love to do is talk about uh, this week in track and field. And I think a couple of the biggest things, we were just talking about this off podcast, but a couple of the biggest things that we were, wanted to mention, of course, Drake, last Friday when we were re- recording, Drake had the blue mile, or excuse me, the, blue, the Drake Blue Oval Showcase going on. Um, and one of the best, I think, competitions they had was the Delta Dental Men's Shop, Delta Dental of Iowa Men's Shop. Ryan Krauser put together one incredible set. Um, he went 22.56, which is 74 feet on the dot, I think 74 feet and a quarter, roughly, if I'm not mistaken. All those things were over 22 meters, um, 22.08 was his lowest on all those throws, and it was just an incredible set. I don't know. I've read a little bit. <clears throat> Maybe, you know, Scott and Mike, you guys can help me out a little bit. I think it wasn't one. I think it was his best set ever, or not ever, but one of his best ones. I don't know. Did you guys read about that? I know he had, um, you know, they were talking a little bit about the series and stuff, and I, I think it was probably his best series mm-hmm. ever. Um, but, I, you know, surprisingly, there was actually, I think, one better um, done at Drake Stadium. I, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Um, mm-hmm. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, that was impressive. There's no doubt about it. We had uh, – there's some incredible overall out of that thing. We got to give – first and foremost, though, we absolutely got to get credit to one of our own uh, – one of our podcast guests a couple weeks ago. We had the incredible uh, Jordan Gray, uh, the great goddess, as she calls herself on Instagram and Twitter. Um, she actually won the long jump over Tiana Bartoletta and Savannah Carson, went 616, which is 20 feet, uh, two and a half inches right there. Um, great jump. And as she said, if you followed her on Instagram, she said, I think she was a little scared because she was going out there without a coach, never done that before. Um, but just rules and restrictions got to be safe with COVID. So she had some good stuff, but she was pleased, picked up a nice little fat payday. Um, but at the same time, I know she was, uh, based off everything I saw and talking with her, she knew she had a little bit more in her. So that was good. You had, um, going through a few of these things, you had the women's road mile was actually really nice. We take the world lead in that. Emily Lepar, 429.3, uh, facility record and a world lead record beat uh, Allie Cash, Marissa Howard, um, Carissa Nelson, actually, the former Sanford grad. We'll give her a little credit over here, despite that school being over the hill. We don't like talking about it if we don't have to. Um, but Chris won 438. So there's a good little mile over there. Um, the women's 100 was fun, 1118 for Kyla White, or Kayla White, excuse me, I'm sorry, Kayla, um, was in there. Overall, some really solid performances. I think one of the big things to do, and we're going to talk about the vaults here in a second at out in Switzerland, but one of the cool things was they had to put together this kind of a field, you know, so quickly uh, out at track meets. And I think that's good. I mean, Scott and Mike, we've, <clears throat> and even Paul, we've, we've talked about this before in the podcast, how things like this need to pop up. And things like this need to happen. Like, I think you probably could have gotten a good crowd, but again, social distancing, we can't do much with that. Yeah. Me, oh, go ahead, Scott. You was, know, I, we, we've mentioned it many, many a times and stuff, you know, comp- competitions like this that, you know, are probably, you know, over in a few hours, you know, the fields are, are very limited, but, you know, it provides a, you know, a lot of action and a lot of, you know, great performances um, you know, I, I think once crowds are able to come back and stuff, you know, this might be a format that, you know, a lot of meat producers and promoters, you know, they may want to consider. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. You know, there, there was, um, I think when you start taking away a lot of the distractions and a lot of the extra stuff that goes on, uh, obviously we've seen some fantastic performances born of that. Right. So being able to set up, you know, smaller numbers of events or even just single events and really allow that focus where, 
you know, you're not waiting for another race to finish or there's, there's not an official that's getting held up some other place and, and they're able to be ready to go and, and compete in ideal situation. We've seen some pretty fantastic performances and it's been good to see them in the field events. We've been watching a lot of distance races all summer uh, with some pretty remarkable times and marks. And now we're finally, you know, starting to see some of these field event people, um, particularly in the pole vault, particularly in the, um, in the shot put seem to be the two big ones right now. But it's great to see. Try something to be learned there. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. Well, how many times have we talked about that? Almost seems like weekly we talk about that on the podcast. At least we kick the tires on the fact of smaller events, bigger crowds, more intimate events so people can actually be there and be on top of it. Um, I remember the first time I saw one of those intimate events. I think, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but um, you had Great Britain did their world trials. I'm assuming not world trials, but their Olympic trials. <clears throat> and in that, I believe they brought all the state, all the fans onto the track, put them in forward, put a beer garden over the top of it. You know, I mean, let's be honest, sitting there drinking a beer, watching those guys go run by, running down the home stretch. That's got to be one hell of an experience. You know, that's just got to be cool, nice and loud. And plus you're bringing people in. You know, I remember watching an old, old video of Jesse Owens back in the 30s, you know, and there was black and white, and I think the runway was still dirt, and he was jumping mm -hmm. into a pit that probably wasn't much different than the runway. Yeah. But the, the crowd was on either side of that runway. They couldn't have been more than a foot and a half or two feet from either side, and so close that as he ran down the runway, the crowd kind of closed in behind him. So it was almost as if he was parting a sea of the crowd, and I always thought that would be a really cool – that was kind of a dream of mine way back when in the division three days to have a, a home invitational where uh, the infield was more of a social kind of party atmosphere. If you've ever been to like a big onto the Preakness a couple times a long time ago and the infield is, well, it's kind of a, kind of a mess, but it's a lot of fun and you know, you get a lot of people out there and I just thought, I always thought that would be a cool thing. And it's nice to see some of that stuff happening in track and field. I think one of the times, I don't know if Scott, if I think you may have graduated being an Iowa grad with me, um, but I think one of the times I actually ran into the Jim Duncan over at the Drake, uh, and this may have been, yeah, you may have graduated, I don't know, but this is when they had the third straightaway on the backstretch, on the uh, home, home turn right there. You remember that. Uh, they in one corner, and I, I would swear, I'm pretty sure there's kegs, but for the Jim Duncan, all of a sudden the fraternities and sororities showed up, <clears throat> and around that corner uh, that, you know, where the 200 started, there was a whole bunch of fraternities and sororities, and I was pretty damn sure none of them were sober. You know, it looked like they had drums and everything. They were there. Yeah. <laughs> I remember some of those uh, those competitions and those uh, the those Drake kids. They they uh, really enjoyed. Uh, you know, I think it was sometimes it'd be on a Friday afternoon after class, and they they'd be out there starting their uh, weekend uh, celebrations and stuff. And you know, we we go to so many competitions. You know, in the U.S. that are so different from like over in Europe. You know, you go over to Europe, and you know, I was in Berlin last summer. And, you know, it's like a carnival out there, you know, they have all these food trucks and beer, beer, beer stations, beer gardens. And it's like, you know, people, there'd be like a little break in the action and people would run outside and, you know, get a brat and a beer and then they're back in the stadium. And, you know, I, I think these are some things that, you know, we, we need to, you know, make track meets a little bit more enjoyable for the fans and, you know, simple things of, you know, some, you know, food and beverages that, that might be, uh, you know, the, the key to it. Yeah. And, and one of the things we're talking, we've been talking about this, I this fits in perfectly. Uh, so over in Switzerland this weekend, um, actually not in, in this weekend, uh, what is today? So on Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, they actually had uh, Mondo Duplantis, um, who's a Swiss 
Texas native himself. Plus, Sammy Kendricks was over there for a nice vault. Um, you had a women's vault that was incredible too. But um, they had just a small and a little bit of like a cathedral square. And I'm looking at a picture right now so I can get at least an accurate representation of it. But they had two vault pits, or, you know, vault pits, two runways lined up. Plus, on both sides, a little tight little cathedral square. It looks like a good couple thousand people jammed in that you can see that the music's in there you can see everything was done properly but it's incredible and they put on what was ended up being the best i mean a nice little duel for sammy and um, mondo but a hell of a, a pole vault competition you know i mean mondo ends up going 607 uh, to win the thing but both are perfect through 602 mondo took one attempt at the uh, world record and then realized um yeah it's a little too dark so maybe they just forgot to bring in lights or something like that or maybe they didn't plan on having to go that long. You never know what's going to happen. But I know, Coach, uh, you actually, you said you were watching this thing live, of all? Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, just the, the setting was uh, was amazing. And I, I think, you know, what you guys were talking about with, with track and field and mm-hmm. doing some different things uh, to bring in the crowds, to bring in some excitement. Uh, you know, like we started a, a summer series here in, in Naperville, you know, and the challenge was don't don't do all the events. We want this meet over in three hours, and so we started doing a, like a five thousand under the lights. And for high school kids, they just never experienced that, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we and we did some goofy things like you know family four by one and things like that. But anything to kind of spice things up and and you know get interest rolling is, is I think very positive. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's actually the basis of what we've always talked about is can you be in and out in two hours, in and out in two hours of the track meet, make it an elite section, make it something fun, you know, because you don't want you don't want to have to miss two meals if you don't have to, you know, or you know let's let's have a quick meal, start the thing at five, be done at eight, you're done at seven, you can still go out to the restaurant, grab some food, or go home, make something real quick, and be eating in a decent hour. Um, I don't think eight o'clock's a decent hour, but you can at least still get a good meal in for food and and be okay. We'd love to see meets like that. The question is track coaches are so, and we've, again, we've talked about this in every podcast, almost track coaches are so ingrained in the way they do things. They're creatures of habit and refuse to change. It's like, but actually if we don't change, we're going to, we're killing our own sport by doing that. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. You know, it's Um, so, it's so simple for, you know, you, you mentioned missing meals and stuff like that. And, you know, I've seen a few of these track meets and stuff. We, we always, would go over to Sacramento and, you know, yeah. recently they would just bring in food trucks mm-hmm. and the food trucks would be in the parking lot and stuff like that. And, you know, as a track coach who's, you know, usually there at, you know, the, one of the first events and, you know, there till everything's done, it's like, how nice is it just to be able to walk over there and get something? But, you know, the amount of fans that you would see that would be there, I'm sure they would stay much longer, um, you know, just being able to, um, you know, have some something to eat and a, a beverage or whatnot. So, um, you know, you, you really kind of hit on a, an important um, topic when you, you mentioned meals. So something maybe we need to look at further. Wait, you don't want the, you don't want the popcorn that's been there from the night before from the concession stands that doesn't do it for you. That little hot dog that you're not sure how long it's been on the rotisserie. You know, the, the, the funny thing is with some of these, uh, these food trucks, it's like, there's like, you know, these great gourmet chefs and that's how they get their start. You know, a lot of yeah. them are you know, some of the, the best food we, you know, we didn't have it this last year in Reno, but, you know, usually we have uh, during the summer months, we have food truck Fridays and, mm-hmm. you know, you go and, you know, go down there and you always are trying something new, but man, they have like 
some pretty amazing uh, food in those places. It's, it's not just like, you know, your concession stand hot dog and, no. and chips and, you know, a pack of M&Ms and a Coke, you know, it, it's actually some <laughs> really good food. So, but, you know, just another little element that can, you know, add to the competition, I think. Hey, hey can we get back to the, to that pole vault for a second? Because I think, did I read yeah. this right? Did Sammy Kendricks, is he the first person to jump over six meters and not win? We were just talking about that. He is, um, he's the, that's the highest second place finish ever. So there had been other six meter jumps that didn't win, but 602, at least what I had read, was the highest non-winning jump. That's a, that's a pretty good second place jump. Yeah, that's a pretty good first place jump. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the 602 was definitely a Swiss all-comers record for sure right there. And yeah, no, actually it's the first time in the history uh, that two men have cleared 602 in the same competition. Yeah. And I want to say that's the highest jump since like 94. Uh, mm -hmm. the 607. I think Boop could jump that with the last time somebody jumped that high was before Mondo was born. And yeah, so. Mondo's still, still so young. It's incredible what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. It's, a, it's sure. great. No, it's, uh, let's see. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, let's give Mondo one more little credit here. It's a, it's a diamond league record and it's also the Swedish uh, outdoor Swedish record as well too, on the way to going after that. So uh, it was it was fun. They they attempted, from what I've seen in read in the Swiss paper, that they actually attempted to find some lights to put in there to, to they understood how well these guys were jumping and just they couldn't get that part done. So, but everybody knows every once in a while you just you run into some things that you can't do it. Assuming you try to. So I give them a lot of credit for doing that. Um, but speaking to somebody who had again going back to coach here, who's had a lot of success. She's been coaching for what is it 30 plus years I know 23 years in Equal Valley there um you you, you started out and geez wheeze, you started out all the way down in Peoria Notre Dame and Pekin and moving your way through so coach if you would uh so I don't screw it up too much uh, give us a little bit of background and on how you got into to coaching um and we'll go from there all right well I I grew up in uh in Bloomington Indiana mm -hmm. so uh, <laughs> a big Indiana fan uh, especially Indiana basketball uh like my mom uh, taught at university high school and had two of Bobby Knight's kids uh, in, in class. So um, growing up there in Bloomington, uh, my dad, Ray Vandersteen, uh, started the Bloomington Track Club. So when I was like nine, 10 years old, he started me running and my sister too, who was a year and a half younger. And, uh, you know, it led to a fair amount of success. You know, actually uh, won the Junior Olympic Nationals when I was a freshman in high school, uh, coached by Marshall Goss at Bloomington South. Uh, just had some amazing experiences, you know, with uh, some great mentors, right? Uh, then my father uh, actually got a job uh, in Sterling, Illinois. So family moved to Sterling after my sophomore year, yeah. uh, went to Sterling High School. Uh, was kind of lost in terms of where I wanted to go. Went to Northern Illinois. Uh, there was a guy there, uh, Marty Pushkin, I think was his name, recruited me. Uh, and I get there and he had left for University of West Virginia. Okay. So this young guy by the name of Dave Erdahl was my coach. Uh, he was younger than three of the guys on the team, believe it or not. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh, incredible experience at Northern Illinois. I uh, went to practice one day in February. And the, uh, the uh, coaches I had to go in this room, we're going to have a meeting with an AD. The athletic director walks in and says, uh, yeah, your sport's done. Uh, we're cutting baseball. 
track and field, cross country, and badminton. What was remarkable about the badminton is they were NCAA champs that year. Wow. Badminton. Or the year before. So it was whatever. Uh, <laughs> big money for wow. football. Uh, one of our guys calculated that the football's laundry budget was more than the cross country budget. But mm-hmm. well, it, anyway, it forced me to transfer. Uh, you know, immediately eligible to, to uh, walk on at Iowa. Mm-hmm. And initially, I had a great experience with injuries and allergies and everything else. I just finally. Uh, I, I, after a couple of years competing there, I, I, I let that go. Uh, but I think all of those experiences, you know, helped me become, I think, uh, a better coach because you, you ran across some coaches that were phenomenal and some that, you know, I didn't mesh with very well and yep. just, you know, reflecting on those styles, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I just, uh, you know, started uh, coaching and, and teaching. I'm a science teacher. I'm the science department chair at Nequa Valley here. Mm-hmm. And, so I, you know, my first job was at Notre Dame. I was there for three years and three years at Pekin and three years at Wabansi Valley, which is our sister school. So in 1997, Nequa Valley opened with a brand new school. In fact, at the time, the largest, um, or actually the most expensive high school built in America wow. right, for $65 million in South yes. Naperville. And it's a beautiful facility. Uh, and started it from scratch guy when it started the program it was uh, 18 guys and uh, we got our butts handed to us many many times uh, but over the years we've developed a pretty cool culture that uh you know at one point uh you know matt you were saying 120 actually at one point we were up to 168 guys on the team i'm not sure i can swallow that number i mean 168 guys i'm not how do you how do you i'm, I'm just gonna jump how do you jump how do you handle 168 guys well uh, I am very fortunate, and then I have some amazing assistant coaches, and they've been mm-hmm. all of them have been with me since since 2007. Oh, that's incredible! Yeah, and I had an amazing assistant coach that left. Uh, he's now the head coach at uh, Hinsdale South. He's actually one of my former runners, uh, Jim Dickerson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been very fortunate. In fact, I challenge you to if you look at any great program in this country, whether it be collegiate or high school, yep. don't look at the head coach. Uh, the head coach is fine. They get the names of the notoriety, but look at the assistant coaches. They're the ones that are in the, I don't know, you know, in the dirt, so to speak. And they're the ones that I think really make the program click. In the trench, how many, if you have 168 coaches, what do you, I mean, I would normally just throw out the number 10 coaches roughly, but how many would you have? I'm just trying to think of a, a ratio, yeah, but I couldn't I, think of it. I only have, have three paid assistants and I'm fortunate. That's, that's more than most, most programs. Yeah. So, you know, we've structured it differently over the years, mm-hmm. but, you know, this year we've had a structure completely different because of the COVID, but the, yeah. uh, you know, in the past, you know, I have a freshman level coach and he does a phenomenal mm-hmm. job of just orienting them and teaching them the, the sport and everything else. And then uh, a sophomore level coach, and then our head track and field coach, Mike Kennedy, uh, we do something pretty unique. Uh, we, we really recruit sprinters to come out for cross country. And so right now we've got like 30, what we call fast twitch kids out for, out for the team. And my rule is to hold the integrity of the sport is you got to race three times. Right. So, but you know, sometimes we don't race these guys till, you know, middle of or end of September, give them a chance to get in shape and get used to doing some aerobic stuff. But we're big believers in, in differentiation. In other words, those guys don't go out and do the 12 mile run. Right. No. The longest run they do is probably 35, 40 minutes. Uh, but they do a lot of other, you know, wickets and, and all out thirties and things like that, that, 
that my distance runners uh, don't do as much. Jeez, I would never thought, I mean, racing three times, as you said, that at least holds the integrity. They're not out there just willy nilly, you know, I don't know what the best word for it is, but kind of slacking off in the back. You know, I think that's the nicest way to put things with that. Uh, freshman coach, sophomore coach, that helps. Cause again, you're just pretty much helping the, helping the culture start from the beginning. Do you guys do anything with seventh? I don't know how it works. So you have to remind me here, but something eighth grade, do you do anything? Do you reach into that, into that pot? Well, we, um, we've spent a lot of time and energy on our summer program because our okay. middle school programs are, they're hit and miss. Uh, yeah. they're, they're just not very, uh, it depends on the person that's there at the middle school at the time. Right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but they don't really run programs per se. We don't, we're not part of the IESA, which is the state mm -hmm. middle schools championship. Our districts have chose our neighboring district 203 and us have chosen not to do that. So all the meets are just local. And so coaches really don't invest in developing a program. And so our summer program is really important. This, this number is probably going to boggle your mind, but uh, between track and cross country and uh, throws camp and everything that we do, uh, last summer, not this summer, because it was totally cool. Summer before, we had 540 kids, ages grades three through 12, in all those uh, different camps. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So I'd imagine that freshman coach. I mean, it does. It's interesting to hear how you split up those assistants based more. On, I didn't hear you talk about events, right? Which is, I would imagine. I'm just thinking now, right? Like with a bunch of freshmen coming in and they may not even know what they're going to do or what their talent, where their talent lies. Right. So does that play into how you set your program up? It almost sounds like instead of having a jumps and a throws and a sprints, you've got, Hey, here's the new person coach, right? Like this guy's kind of fundamentals and, and kind of determining your path. Like how, well, how, how I, was like, I was talking about cross country. So oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Back in field. We, by that time, we know who the district kind of know who it's going to be. Sure. Yeah. In the fall. And we do split them up, but we we do some sharing too. I mean, you get those in, those tweeners, right? You get the mm -hmm. the young man who can run a hell of a quarter, but can also run a good mile. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, we're we're also well known for bringing sprinters up to the four by eight. We have a four by eight hundred in in Illinois, mm -hmm. and we there's been times that we've had kids sprinter sprint types that uh, had never broken too flat at the state meet and they run 156 at the state meet because they can handle that. And in our state meet, that first quarter of that 800, if you don't have some type of fast twitch in you, you're going to go into auction debt in a hurry because they go out in 54, 55. Yeah. And so if you, you, if you can't run that fast, you're in trouble. Paul, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of when you started out, you, you were, you know, maybe 17, 18 guys, and now you've grown to, you know, some pretty large numbers. How is um, building a culture within a group that large, how, how does that work? Like what, what are, uh, you know, over the years, you, you've kind of probably had, you know, a lot of, you know, different ways you went about it and stuff, but kind of how, can you talk a little bit about the culture of your team and how you've gotten to, to where you are now? Yeah, um, it's been a lot of hit and miss, you know, trying to figure out uh, who we are, right, to start. I mean, when you're a young coach and you, you start a program, and the first thing I did was uh, I, you know, went over to Elmhurst, York, and I asked Joe Newton, can I come watch a practice? And yeah. he said yes. So I go and I watch his practice, right, and I look at the workouts that he did, et cetera. But what was probably the best thing I ever got from, uh, from Mr. Newton was he shook every kid's hand 
when they got there and when they left. Mm-hmm. And I went, I'm going to do that. And it was a game changer. And it, it's not just that, but it's actually having conversations with the guys in terms of what they want out of the program and what, you know, what running means to them. We spent a lot of time. We have an overnight camp in Oregon, Illinois, which is about an hour and a half here from Naperville. And that really helps. It's kind of like a retreat, right, for us to talk about, you know, the team and what we want to accomplish and, and everything else. And, you know, it's setting those values and those norms. You know, we, we sat down my 2016 team that won the state championship a couple of years ago. Uh, we, re- we revisited our values and, and uh, our mission and values, right? And we came up with these norms and it was a lot of fun. I mean, one of the things that I got, you know, that I found out these guys are my, my early 2000s teams, you know, they play ultimate Frisbee and play baseball and they were more active. And as the years went on, these guys became more video game guys, right? And it's like, guys, you, that's what invites injury because you don't use those muscles, uh, those muscles that balance, those muscles, those, those core muscles. Uh, and so I challenged them. I said, be a 70s child, right? So when I was in, growing up in the 70s, you know, all we had was three channels on the television set. That was it. We were outside playing all the time. But one of our norms was be a 70s child. And so now they're and you, you risk the injury of them doing something else, right? Playing basketball or whatever the case may be. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to take that risk over them just sitting in their basement playing video games. So the culture is built over time. I mean, trust me, when I first started, you know, I got wind of guys, you know, I sent them on a run and they go to a swing set and, you know, swing on the swing set for 15 minutes and come, and come running back. So it's, you know, it's something that, it takes time. Yeah. And it really was not until, you know, 2003, 2004, I got some guys that really bought in. And then when Chris Derrick and the great gang came along in, you know, in 2004, when he was a freshman and, and you saw his uh, maturation and what he did. Uh, and for those that aren't aware, uh, Chris uh, ran for Stanford and uh, runs professionally for Nike. He was a national cross country champion three times. A lot of people say he's the best NCAA Division One runner never to win in, in one title. He hates when I say that, but uh, you know he's, he's just a point. A person, a great, a great leader. That okay? Since you brought it up, let's let's dive into that one real quick. That was seven team because that's when you won your first title. Am I correct on that? Two thousand seven. Yeah. So we um, in two thousand three we got fourth. Yeah. We had a couple of years where you know I don't know I can't remember the exact places where. Uh, you know, like 12th, 14th, something like that. And then 2006, we ran seven underclassmen in the state meeting, got ninth. And Chris was third overall in 14-21. Those are, the listeners aren't aware, too. In, in Illinois, we run at, at Detweiler Park, which is a relatively flat course. And it's three miles, not a 5K. So you have to kind of get used to that conversion, the three-mile. And Chris ran 14-21, which is pretty stinking fast. But what most people didn't realize is that Chris was a year young. He did not turn 17 until October 23rd of his senior year. I didn't know that. Yeah. So him and German Fernandez, who was also yep. you know, from California, was also a stud that year. German Fernandez is even younger than Chris was. Uh, I was. I always think about that. If Chris, Derek, and German Fernandez had another year of high school, what they would have done. It would have been they would, unbelievable. They would have rewritten the record books. No yeah, questions yeah, about they, it. They would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, – yeah. So, and then those guys all returned, but still I didn't know, you know, I had a 
uh, a freshman that was pretty good. He became a, a stud as a sophomore. And then a young man named David Danny Provola, who, you know, starting to get better. I didn't, I had no idea that we were going to have the team that, that we had. I mean, how did they, is it one of those things is lightning in a bottle? Cause I mean, 07 was also the national championship team with NXN. So, I mean, is that just, man, we realized about halfway. When did you realize it? Cause you, you said in the start, you didn't know what was going to happen, but then all of a sudden you got to, you got to get a sense of something that was something special is about to go. Yeah. Well, it happened that spring before that's okay. when, and that's where, again, Jamie Genota, one of my assistant coaches, he's, he was the, he was the distance coach in the, in the spring. Mm-hmm. at that time and they started running some incredible times you know chris ran 856 and yeah. we had a uh another couple guys you know run 915 another one ran 920 low 920s so we knew we had some some special guys coming back uh into the fall mm-hmm. and but that fall was a, it was it was not smooth we we had <laughs> our number two guy jimmy riddle went down with a stress fracture in his tibia a number five guy quit the team for a little while, got in a fight with his dad, and it was uh, it was a mess. Uh, but we, we put it together. In fact, Riddle, our number two guy, ended up yep. falling apart in the state meet. That was his first race back, and he just went too hard. And you, you ever watch those guys that you know wobble and they fall down, they get back up? That's what happened. Yep. And so he he ended up not even being one of our top five at the state meet, and we were still able to win. But then in the national meet, Jimmy Riddle was sixth overall. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> so that's how talented Jimmy Riddle was. And um, just had, just had, he just needed some more time to get his legs underneath him. Just a little bit. That's, I mean, that's an incredible thing to be able to bounce back that well. And it shows the depth of the team that you had in 07 where you can have a guy like Riddle, you know, essentially be your number two guy at the national championships, but fall apart and still win that championship. Yeah, we had we had another guy, a junior, um, uh, Brian Winnick, who we didn't know, but he had a a low blood pressure condition. So he ran fourteen fifty nine on a legit three mile course uh, three weeks before the state meet, but then he kind of started falling apart. So he never factored in at all. Mm-hmm. Oh so yeah, you're right. We we were very fortunate to have a great great depth uh, in that program that year. Is that the What's the best? I mean, we have other questions here, of course, we'll get to in a second, but I got to ask, I mean, you've been going for 23 years there at the Valley. You've been coaching for a hell of a lot longer than that. 33 years, 35 years overall, roughly. Um, Is there a favorite moment? Favorite multiple of moments? I mean, Um, great and all, but sometimes there could be something else, but what would be that favorite? Yeah, I I tell you, uh, 2007 was the elation. I don't think I'll ever feel that again. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I tell you what, 2009, we, we weren't supposed to win. Uh, Loyola out of Chicago was ranked number one in the country, actually, going into the state meet. And that year, I, that team, we ran together as a pack. And I usually don't advocate doing that, but that team, that personality. I, the reason I did it is because my number three, four guy would always just die the last 800. So I, I basically asked my number two guy to hold back and kind of make him not go out so hard. And anyway, so we committed to doing that all season. We got to the state meet and it was like 74 degrees in the first weekend of November. And that doesn't sound really warm, but after, you know, and it was like a month of real cold weather up leading up to that point. Yep. And so I told the guys, I said, you need to go out, you know, usually the state meet, you're just like, get out, get out. I actually told them the opposite. I said, 
don't worry about it. They're going to come back to you because of the heat. Yeah. And so I think we were like 11th or 13th at the, at the mile. We were like ninth at the mile and a half mark. And yeah. we ended up winning the whole thing uh, because they just passed so many guys the last mile because everybody was, uh, was exasperated from the heat. Sounds like a sounds like a Wetmore strategy. You know, Mark Wetmore out of Colorado. A lot of times you look at the races, and if you take a look at the results from the national championships, where they do, I mean, it's a, it is a program. It's incredible. There's no questions of tradition there. But if you watch some of those things, he's never. In the, I mean, he's up there a little bit. You know, their teams are six, seven, eighth coming at the halfway part, maybe a little bit earlier, and then all of a sudden they close like. I mean, they close like banshees. They're flying like nobody's business. And you're right, seventy-four degrees at Detweiler. As much as I've been there many times for that state championship. That is warm for that championship that day because you're used to something in the 45, 50 range, maybe if you're lucky, a little colder. And then all of a sudden, but that course allows you to get going that second half really, really quickly. So you're right. I mean, you pounce on some mistakes that teams made, and that's exactly what you did. Yeah. Uh, did Loyola finish second that year? Um, yes. Yeah, York was third. But okay. then, you know, in the, in the Nike regional meet, yep. uh, in the national meet, Loyola beat us. They, they were the better team that year. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they finished fourth in the country that year, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. You're like, but no seven, we won it. You couldn't win. Come on. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, all respect in the world to Loyola to pull that off is still incredible with it. Um, so one thing, one thing we've, we've uh, I don't think on the podcast we've talked about, we've talked about what we would do, you know, what we look for as college coaches um, for kids, you know, always talked about this before. What do we look at? We look at everything from the social media to um, and last week, your whole coach, coach, uh, coach Demers talk about, um, or Demers, I'm sorry. Sorry, Erica, if you're listening. Um, we heard her talk about three different core values on what you have to be. And you have to have two of those three values. Um, you've had numerous, you know, a couple all Americans, you have Chris Derrick as well. That's been, you know, running Stanford. And again, I would agree probably arguably the most talented kid that never won a national title. Uh, unfortunately, um, tons of all different all state runners and everybody from the four by state champions to the team champions. But we like to, I think, flip the question here is the best thing because we've all called coaches. I call coaches on a regular basis if I'm recruiting their athletes. Uh, you coaching the men I've never had the opportunity to actually pull one of your kids in, even when I was at Bradley, never really had the chance to. Uh, I don't know, it just never fit sometimes, which is okay, it's going to happen in programs. But what are you looking for from us? I mean, what do you look for in us? Is it a Okay, I mean, let's start with the first question. What do you look for us? But also, do you want to talk to us? You know, there's some programs of coaches actually just here's the number. I really don't care, and we'll see you later when you're done. Yeah, and and I know I think that is why maybe. Uh, and college coaches are busy. I I mean I get it. Yeah. yeah. And you're probably going to find out. You want to kind of find out for yourself, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, you're going to interview that young man, and you're going to kind of see some things. But I'm telling you developing some relationship with high school coaches is extremely valuable, especially the ones that will tell you, give you a straight, straight answer. Right. Yep. And so I actually get kind of frustrated when coaches don't talk to me and I'm like, really, you're, you're going to move forward and do this. And you're not going to get any insights from, uh, but I get it because sometimes I think high school coaches are reluctant to maybe tell the true story when that could get them in trouble. Right. So uh, in terms of you know, the other part of your question, what what I personally look for is I look for a, a coach in a program that is going to not be all results oriented. And I know the college level, it's more results oriented. I, I, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But if you don't take care of the person, if you don't 
especially when they're injured. Uh, you know, one of the guys, I, one of the things I tell my athletes is find out what's going, what happens when an athlete is injured. And does the coach just kind of forget about them and just kind of cast them aside? Or do they, do they stay in touch with that athlete and make sure that they're, because actually when the athlete's injured, they probably need more coaching than when they did when they were healthy. And so I look at programs. I, I you know, for example, uh, I just talk, got done talking to Jeff Stiles or um, texting him back and forth at, at, at St. You know, down there at, uh, at Wash U down in St. Yeah. Louis. And what an amazing man that is. Uh, oh, absolutely. Number one guy right now is interested in him. I, and his name is Nicholas Dovolovsky. And I'm like, Nicholas, I said, this, this guy is the real deal. Uh, this is a program you want to be a part of. Uh, so, and I tell the guys, you know, we have the best program in the, in the country in our backyard, North Central, right? Division one, two, or three. I don't care what you, anybody says. <laughs> in my opinion, we're the best program in the country for so many reasons. And I always tell the guys, I go, I know you're not going to go there because it's in your hometown, right? Because they yeah. don't want to stay home. I said, but you need to go for a visit anyway because it's free and it's right there. And if at least you have a basis by which to compare other programs to. Yeah. I mean, that you're right. I would, I would give the fact North central is, yeah, it's a cream of the crop. There's no questions about it. Cause that's the standard. That's the development. That's what you're going to do with everything. Um, I think one thing that turns us off sometimes though, and, and maybe you can kick your, your fellow high school coaches, I'll reach out to a coach and say, Hey, here's what's going on. Um, and I'll get about a three sentence answer back. Here's what we're about. Um, you know, love the opportunity to talk to you. Do you have any questions? Here's my cell phone number. I do this on a regular basis. I, hey, coach, thanks for your interest. Here's uh, here's Mike Herb's number. Um, you know, best of luck. Let me know if you need anything. And then I'll follow up with an email, and then I hear nothing. Wow. Yeah, that, that's unfortunate. I guess yeah. I would say find the coaches that are willing to talk to you, mm -hmm. and, then, and the ones that are not, just bypass them. Because uh, obviously that's just a waste of your time. Yeah. It's not fun. It, trust me. It isn't fun. And it's, it's tough to be able to do things. Um, what, is there ever been a moment where you, a coach did something you're like, Oh boy, that's a red flag. Like maybe you've changed it or is there seen stories like that? Um, no, not, not really. Coaches. I mean, it's, um, name some names here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me get my pen out so I can say, <laughs> I, I think, the, um, I think to the style of the coach matters in terms of what, their, their training program is like, like I've had some, I, I, I'll call them slow twitch guys, right? They're, they don't have much speed, but you put them, you know, over 10 K, I think they're, they're going to be pretty successful. And I think some of them have joined programs that are more interval oriented, more VO2 max, you know, get after it, uh, especially indoors. Yep. And they just, they just don't, it doesn't match up. Um, and I'm not going to name schools, but, you know, it just – and sometimes you don't know until the athlete goes there, and then you kind of see. And then, too, the other side is I hear the athlete story. I don't necessarily hear the other – from the university side, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm careful about, eh, okay, there, there's always two sides to a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. You've got to – there's always two sides to what's going on. And, I mean, we've had, we've all had this before. Scott's had it. Mike's had it. We've all – John's had it. We've all had it before – you get one side of the story, but you're like, oh, but then all of a sudden the coaches here and the high school coaches, you know, well, this coach isn't doing this, this, and this. Like, hold up. But I'm not mistaken. You painted the town red all weekend. And yeah. you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing and that kind of stuff. And that always, that always irks me. Um, 
I've, I've had the privilege to work with some great coaches, some high school coaches and stuff that have been really back and forth. Um, what if, let's say, let's use let's just say Chris Derrick, because we're just going to use a name here. We know everything went really well for Chris, but let's say, um, let's see, uh, Coach Miltenberg was out there. Am I correct? When, when Chris was there? Um, can't remember. I think he was an undergrad, right? I think he was yeah. one of Chris's mm-hmm. teammates. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, um, well, what I'm going with is this. Miltenberg had called up and said, hey, we're having an issue with Derek, not from a social standpoint, not from anything like that, like running-wise. How are you open to sit down and say, okay, here's what we did. What are you doing? And go back and forth. Yeah, oh, for sure. Like um, I, had a, I had an athlete, and I will name this particular school and coach because that I, I really believe highly in this person. That's Mark Burns at Missouri. Uh, yeah. I had an athlete Podcast that, guest, of course. That, yeah. that, that ran for that ran for Mark. and you know, uh, the athlete wasn't performing well. And so Mark and I got on the phone and we talked and we, we talked about what I saw in high school, what really worked for him. And Mark was all, all ears. He's like, I'm, we're going to try that and, and see what happens. So that dialogue and that openness is, mm-hmm. I think is real, real important. And too many times I hear high school coaches dish college coaches and I hear mm-hmm. off too often college coaches dishing high school coaches. And sometimes I think they're, I think we need to open up a little bit in terms of you're, you're seeing one side and you're, you know, to develop those relationships, getting on the phone uh, and getting away from email, talk to somebody. The email is one of the worst things that can happen in my opinion is actually let's get on the phone and let's start some conversations. And that is when you move forward opposed to trading emails. Remember when I was back, um, when I was back in being recruited, uh, had I was very fortunate enough to have. Um, I'm just going to use Minnesota and Iowa and Wisconsin and Georgia and uh, I think Nebraska and Drake had called and um, I remember my high school coach walking through one day and he looked at me and he said, "Hey, Iowa called." And I was like, "Okay." He didn't think much of it. And back then, again, no social media. He didn't have Walt Murphy's Express coming to my high school or anything like that. You just had. You just knew the names. He said, what's the biggest programs in the country? Tennessee, Duke, Nebraska, Notre Dame. Like, those are the big name programs in the country. But he's like, I'm like, I will call. He's like, do you have, in- do you have interest? And I was like, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't I? Big Ten school. Sure. And he said, okay. A couple days later, he comes up and he goes, hey, I talked to the Iowa coach. Talked to him for a long time. I, I think there'd be a good relationship there. I think you're going to work, you know? I didn't dawn. I mean, he was nowhere near saying go to Iowa. He was saying, I think this would work for you. And that's all it was. I, we didn't have a single, I promise you to this day, we didn't have a single conversation about that at all. But I would have went back a few years after I had committed to Iowa and you know, been there and had, was having uh, lunch with my coach. And he's like, yeah, we just had conversations. And after that, we still had conversations. And to this day, we still have conversations. And no, they haven't talked in a long time for th- other reasons, but like, especially when I was in school, there was a relationship developed. And we never had another kid from Waukesha West go Division One after me. But at the same time, they did a – I mean, this, that's the biggest key right there. What can you develop, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think it's I think it's a lost art is that art of conversation with, you know, even just doing this, this is at least a good thing. No, it's not a phone call, but a Zoom call helps. I think with coaches in general, if you can get on the phone with them, um, that kind of stuff, if – what do you, okay, you're a little old school. You said to go back to the 1970s kind of way. I think all of us here have actually, we're still good with the 80s and 90s and we're still good with the handwritten letters, but 
What do you do with the letter? Like, so here's a great question. I think and you can yell at me if you don't want to. Let's say you get a letter from a school. Do you give every single letter a kid gets if they get a letter nowadays? Of course, I know it's different. But if a letter comes in, or back then, even when you got more letters, would you give the kid every? Would you give the kid every single letter, or would you say, "Hey, here's Nevada, Indiana, UAB. These guys are good. I don't think you're going to work at North Central." And again, I'm just using North Central. No disrespect by any means that way. But would you decipher in those things? Well. I think, first of all, I think one of the mistakes that college coaches make is they send the letters to the high school coach. I think that's dangerous. Okay. Uh, for, I think, kind of, Wes, what you're insinuating, right? Yeah. Uh, I think what's better is we encourage high school coaches to, to create a Google Docs. And what we do is we just have a form. Mm-hmm. And we, we give it to our high school kids, and they fill it out, and it, it, it dumps into a spreadsheet. And then we share the responses to that with the college coaches. So the college coaches are then sending the letters directly to their address. Oh, that's easy then. Right? Yep. So we got to get more high school coaches to do that. And then that also, my argument to the high school coaches, look, that's going to save you from getting all these letters and trying to find your athletes and pass them out all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we do. So I don't get that many letters anymore. But the yeah. ones I do get, I do give to them, unless they've already committed. And if they've yes. already committed somewhere, then, yeah, I, I toss them in the recycling bin because it's, it's over and done with. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that frustrates me is I get letters from, from programs that, that, that are college programs that are not real successful, and mm-hmm. all they do is look up the all-state athletes and send letters for them. And it makes no sense to me. It's like, yeah. would, why aren't you going for the athletes that call the college or the high school coaches? Which one? Hey, what kid got hurt but looks like has lots of potential? Or, you know, uh, look at athletic.net. Ah, look at the 950 kids and then call the co- high school coach. Hey, is that 950 kid? Is that kid interested in running college? Oh, that kid's awesome. No, I'll tell them straight out. No, that kid's not going not gonna to work out in, in, in college because – they're not willing to do stuff when you're not watching, right? That's my number one criteria for a high school kid to succeed in college is what do they do when the high school coach is not watching? Mm-hmm. And if they're independently, intrinsically motivated, then mm-hmm. they're going to succeed in college. But if all they care about are medals and trophies and a pat on the back, they're mm-hmm. not going to make it in college. No, not at all. That's, that's going to be the rough thing. You know, it, it's amazing to – to see how recruiting has changed, you know, even in, you know, the amount of time, you know, um, that I've been in the school, you know, cause you know, I remember when I first started out, it's like we compiled our big list and we sent out our um, <laughs> big old mailing, you know, sending out the 3000, 4,000 letters and just, you know, then you're always running and checking the, the mailbox to see what's coming back in. And, yeah. you know, now, now we have, you know, the internet, social media and stuff. And it's like, you know, most schools are, are not even, um, you know, sending out letters, you know, the kids are being handpicked and, you know, and we're following them on Twitter and other social media and stuff like that. And it feels that more students are, you know, promoting themselves better. Um, you know, do you feel like a lot of your, your athletes are, are doing a better job of, you know, contacting the schools that they're interested in? You know, I, I go back and I look at, you know, the, the kids that are actually, you know, they come to our school and we signed them and stuff like that. And it's like, 
you know, how many of them were kids that, you know, we went out there and found and recruited or, you know, how many of them are, you know, um, you know, they, they kind of found us and then we started that relationship. Yeah. I, uh, every time a junior comes to me and say, coach, I'm going to start the college search project. What do I do? The first thing I tell them is go to their websites and fill out their interest survey because you guys, there's no way you can cast that wide a net, right? In other words, you're going to direct your energy at kids that are interested in you. So, and I said, the college coaches love that because it shows initiative, right? That's the one trait that they're looking for. Because if you don't have the initiative to get stuff done, then you're not going to succeed athletically or, or as well academically. So I say, show that initiative, go fill out those, those pro, you know, those, those profiles in schools. And I said, it should not just be about running. It should be about what you want to study. Uh, now, the problem is most of these high school kids have no idea. So I say, well, pick schools that have a wide range of programs that are generally within your area. So like if you're more liberal arts oriented, then look up those schools. If you're more engineering oriented, then look up those schools uh, and fill out their interest surveys. I'm really glad to hear you say that. I think that, you know, if we could have a PSA for more high school coaches, that would be it. Because like Scott said, if I look back at the kids that are actually here, and I should say even after doing this for almost 20 years myself, I cast a far smaller net now than I did way back when, far smaller. And I would say that, oh man, a big percentage of the kids that we have here are ones that made the initial contact, right? They were the ones that reached out first. And then the other ones were ones that, I talked to a high school coach and they said, Hey, you know what I mean? There was some very rarely, we, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I made a cold call, just looked up a kid, found their number, you know, very rarely does that happen anymore. We're so, we're so easily accessible, so easily accessible. Like every, if you can't find me, you know, social media wise, then you can get an email. If you can't get a phone number, you could, you know, like, and like you said, just Give me some times and some distances. Give me some grades, a little interest, and then we go from there. And that's and 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 that's how you get sometimes the, that next tier of kid, right? Because sure, everybody knows about your superstar, but maybe there is that kid that was injured, or like send me some video or whatever. And okay, or I'm out at a meet and I see somebody. But yeah, it's it's that initial contact is, in my opinion, and maybe I'm just a lazy recruiter at this point, but, you know, we do, we do okay. And, and they're, and they're coming to us, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you, and when you can pick from them, shoot, my time spent on recruiting is so much more efficient when I know there's some level of interest on the front side, you know, and um, no doubt. So, yeah. Really glad to hear you say you do that. Just out of curiosity, Matt and uh, Herb, yeah. when, when was it, when do you get, when was the last time, or do you guys even send out, mailings anymore when i first at uab um i probably sent out i had to build a program i only had five kids when i arrived so i sent out about i'd say about 400 letters um and i just went nuts i figured if i could get somebody at the school to at least look at the letter to do something but i was cold calling coaches left and right i i had the double thing to do is i had to call coaches to introduce myself and I had to send letters out to everybody to make sure everybody's there. I even sent state championship congratulation letters to every single one of the schools here for the first two years. And I probably actually should get back to that when COVID's done, but send letters to every single high school just saying, hey, congratulations, to at least go with it. But I think that would be the last time I've done that big of a mass mailing before. Because as, as I think, Herb, uh, you know, you, you alluded to it, it's so much more 
finite. We're not, you know, it's more the James Bond type of thing. We're going in, we got one target, boom, we hit the target, we're done. We're not a Jason Bourne and we're going to, you know, start shooting everywhere. We're just going straight for one target and that's it. Um, I apologize if that's bad for it's in today's world, but works for us right now. Now that's, I will say that, hold on, if you don't mind, I will say what I will do for sure is after a visit and after, you know, especially after a visit, you've taken that, I absolutely will write a handwritten letter after a state championship, that kind of stuff or anything, any performance. I don't care if you won or if you're 10th or something like that. Um, you're at least going to get handwritten letters throughout the recruiting process. No questions about that. But again, as you said, coach, I'm not sending them to the school because I'm not sure if the dog got them or the assistant principal or somebody got them. You know? Sorry, Mike. No, that's okay. It's funny you mentioned, I'll have to call this guy back, but I'm getting a call right now from a club coach who I'm sure has got somebody that he wants to talk about or whatever. It's funny that that happened yeah. right now, but um, I think it's changed. It, it evolves as again, when I first started coaching, I didn't know, like you said, you know I me, mean? I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything about anybody. So you have to, it's more selling yourself. It's more getting your name out there via letters and that mass sort of, uh, 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 you know, philosophy, but now just, perfect, perfect timing, right? Like people, I don't want to, you know, people know kind of who I am at this point or, you know what I mean? I've, again, you do anything for this long, you start making some connections and, and, you know, you have more of a Rolodex where it's like, okay, so if somebody pops up, that's real good instead of, you know, that mass list or whatever, it's who do we know that knows this person? Because at this point, after X amount of time, you know somebody that knows him or there's some connection to the school that you're at or whatever. So it's just a, a much more specific recruiting kind of process. And I think Andrew, our recruiting coordinator, he sends out some, some letters, but like you said, you know, I, if, if I'm going to put something in the mail, it's typically a handwritten thing at this point because I've already had some connection with them already. And, and so that's just kind of, I, I, I use the word efficient. I don't want to use the word lazy. It's just, it's a, it's a much higher return, right? Like, it, you know, you, you send out 400 letters. I'd rather make 30 phone calls and get three kids and send out 400 letters to get those same three kids. And, but that's just time. And that's just, you know, getting to know people over the years and everything like that. So. I'm, I, I am still, I am still here, but uh, <laughs> I, I've been in practice. I've been listening. I, uh, I still send out a ton of letters. Usually after every state championship, we send out uh, – and we cast a pretty wide net. So, for example, in Illinois, when we send letters to Illinois kids, we have some standards that uh, of, of kids we'll take into our program. So just ex- as an example, like the boys' two-mile. Every boys' two-miler who's run 945 or faster at the state meet will get a letter from us. Um, and, and I also think it's unique to every institution because – at St. Louis University, because we're a high academic school that, that is $60,000 a year, I really need to, to kind of see who can fit in academically um, into the program. Uh, and, and quite frankly, you know, all I ask in my letter, and I, when I send a letter, I send it directly to the kid. I address it right to, to the student at the high school. So I try and uh, maybe cut out uh, the dog or the principal or the coach or the assistant coach. I just send it, address it right to the kid. Um, but we do cast a pretty wide net, uh, for a bunch of different reasons. And I always just like having a big pool of kids that, uh, that we can recruit from. Again, I get a lot of questionnaires where the kid who maybe academically can't make it, uh, at SLU. So it, it's a good weeding out process. It is time consuming, but I also realize I'm the head coach and that's what we have assistant coaches for. True. 
remember uh, it was back, I think Scott Kapos who's now the University of Nebraska, the great throws coach that he is. He told me one time when you first got when we first when I first got into this about 15 years ago, he goes, Matt, you're probably gonna um, send out about 500 letters, expect to get responses from about 200 people, if you're lucky. Out of those 200 people, if you follow up with 100 of them, you're doing a good job. And expect out of those 100 to get 25, 25 responses back, whether it be a letter, whether it be an email. At the time, of course, email was a little more you know, prudent. He said, but out of those 25, expect to sign four. That's to go from 500 to four really quickly. Now, that's a lot. But as you guys yeah, see, I, go ahead, John. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, if, we, if we get uh, – it, it is kind of – you know, you scratch your head at times because, yeah, you send out 400 letters, and if you get two, it's like <laughs> – you hit the lottery. No, it used to be run to the mailbox and be like, yes, I got 10 letters today. This is great. Wait a minute. We're yeah. send letters to four of these kids. Shit, I got to throw those out. <laughs> yep. But you casted the net because you wanted to see what you get back, and sometimes you miss something. You can go through every standard you can, and sometimes you miss them. But Coach, you, go ahead, John. I was going to say, you know, and that's why, like, we, we kind of created some standards. Back to, back to what Coach said is, you know, uh, yeah, I could I could send letters to the Allstate kids certainly, and and maybe I get one every 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 other year, every third year. But you know, that's why I go down the list a little bit to that 945 kid, and and if I get that kid to to, to walk on, I mean, it's funny because I was just listening to the conversation as, as I was coaching. You know, back to that state meet, um, that 2009 Illinois State uh, cross country meet, where it was 75 degrees out. There was a kid who on the women's side, on the girls' side, uh, who, and we like, kind of told the story earlier in an er, earlier episode of a girl who fell and kind of crawled to the finish line because of the heat. She ended up being a 17 flat kid for us in, in 5K. So, yeah, you, sometimes you need to cast that wide net, and, and you do get some of those kids that aren't, uh, aren't the blue chip, blue chip kids out of high school. No. That's kind of what I was going to say is, you know, I, I – have gotten away from it more and more, but I, I always feel like the, you know, when we're out there, you know, we're looking for a kid that's going to, you know, come in, be a conference scorer and stuff. But, you know, we, we also need some of these, um, you know, the walk-ons, the developmental kids that are going to, you know, feel that, feel that, um, you know, that depth on our team. Uh, and I always felt like the, you know, the letter writing and stuff like that kind of helped with that a little bit. Um, cause it, you know, obviously if they responded, they, ha they had an interest and, um, you know, it's, you know, I, I look back at our team and it's like, well, you know, we, we probably have three or four of our school record holders were, you know, kids that came from a, a letter writing campaign that, you know, were walk-ons that turned into to something great. So it's, I, I get it, it. It's not where we spend all of our time, but I, I still do think there is a little bit of value to it. Coach, you mentioned it before, you know, relationships are a big deal. Get the letters, those are big deals. Like doing those little things, I think is one thing we've all talked about before in podcasts. Like just do the little things, make things easy. But getting all that stuff, developing relationships, do you steer kids? Do you steer kids to a particular college or is it more a, hey, you know what? I know the coach at UAB, he's a good dude, but I don't think academically it's going to fit, but Nevada is going to be actually a better fit. I'm going to steer you that way or, or maybe you don't. Well, the only steering I do is – you know, being at Neuqua Valley High School, middle upper class, uh, mm -hmm. you know, suburb. Yep. Here it's an arms race, right? It's D1 this, D1 that. And yep. I, uh, you got to change their mentality if you can. I mean, it's, I don't tell them not to go look at D1, but, you know, if I've got a, 
if I've got a 935 kid who's a pretty good high school runner, he's not going to be successful necessarily at, at Indiana or at Iowa or at Wisconsin, right? In fact, they probably won't even let him on the team. Yeah. Uh, probably say, okay, run club and then see if you can make it. You know, it's one of those. Uh, and then they ended up, you know, so they go to the University of Illinois, they end up running club, in which, which I actually have an athlete at Illinois, Josh Mulway, who's the club president there at Illinois, he loves it. He, ne- he never wanted to join the university team, which is great. But uh, if they want to run, then mm-hmm. hopefully they can find a school that is Division Two or Division Three that they can meet their academic needs and their, their uh, you know, their uh, athletic needs too. You know, I, I came from D3 as an athlete and coached at the University of Redlands in Southern California, D3 school for a while when I first got started. And, and I, I'm also really glad to hear you say something like that because there are so many opportunities. And, like, you've got unbelievable Division three programs in your backyard, obviously. Mm-hmm. I also just have to – an aside, I'm glad to hear you say good things about Wash U because they, they come up to our outdoor meet every year. And it's awesome. Like, and I don't – I think I appreciate it more than the other guys because I came from that kind of stuff. But, like – you know, first of all, they're there at like nine in the morning with their box lunches, the whole team, right? Because they don't have a hotel. They're not, they drove up that morning or whatever. And they have some A, phenomenal athletes. And they're just so, all they want to do is try to beat somebody from one of these division three or division one schools. And they, they do a lot. Like they're really, really good. And, and to watch that excitement and, you know, and, and just to kind of speak to that, that program, they have phenomenal athletes and shoot they're basically an ivy league school anyway i mean you got to be ridiculously smart so you know how smart these kids are they're all up reading the books and stuff before (laughs) before the meet starts but yeah i mean there's just phenomenal uh opportunities out there for everybody regardless of your level and and i think it's like you said you get in that arms race and those those suburbs where there's some some resources and everybody wants to you know be able to post on their twitter that they got this and that and everything else and and but man, if you want us to have a great life and a good experience, there, there are some phenomenal places to do that. So that's awesome. Yeah, totally. Agree. I, I, need, I, I need to interrupt for a minute. Can we oh, stop talking I'm about? Can we, can, we, can we stop talking about Wash U, please? <laughs> <laughs> no, they, Jeff does a, a phenomenal job, and, and they come over to our outdoor meet, and it's uh, it's a battle. I mean, they've got some really really good kids. So I, I do. Jeff, uh, Jeff does a great job. So, uh, coach, when you're talking about sending the kid over there, he's going to, your kid's going to be well taken care of if he chooses Wash U. I, I really like Jeff and, and the job he does. Over there. John, we like having you guys come up too. Yeah. Don't worry, oh, Jeff. Yeah, and, and John, uh, you know, anytime uh, I hear of a young uh, man who's like wants to study aviation, like Luke Verbus on that 2019, actually, it was between Western Colorado and you guys. Uh, but he chose the mountains. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah. But anytime I hear um, of young men, yeah, I'll send I'll send them your way. Oh, I appreciate it. And the, I think sometimes the best thing about some of those D twos and D's threes is the longevity of the coaches that have been there. You know, D ones you tend to have to turn a little bit. I hate to say it, it's the nature of the job. If you're, I mean, some of the D one coaches have been here for a long time, but a lot of those schools, I mean. I think last summer before everything hit, there's 12 different power five positions that rotated. That was just power five jobs. And that didn't include everything else. And that was just the distance side alone. And there's tons of jobs going, but coaches are jumping and moving and they might get let go. Programs go. A lot of times in D2 and D3, because of the way the structure is set up, those programs and those coaches are going to be there for a long 
I mean, heck, look at you across for a long time. That is some other advice I do give my kids that are, yeah. uh, especially D1. I say, do not choose that school based on just the, the, uh, the coach. I said, no. part of the reason, but it cannot be the full reason. Uh, it just cannot. You've got to look at the academics uh, along with the overall support of the program. Yep. Good point, Matt. Yeah. And that's a question I, I feel like we, you know, more recently I keep hearing it more and more from, um, you know, uh, recruits is how long do you plan to be here? You know, what, what's your, are you planning on going anywhere else? Whereas, you know, I didn't quite hear that as often in, uh, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago. No, it's a good point. When you're younger and doing stuff, talking to the parents, parents tend to ask that question, I think, more than the kids do. Some of the kids do, that might be that final question. Like, all right, we have a girl right now on the team who I'm, I love having her. She's incredible. Um, and she, one of her final questions was like, okay, I guess between you and Georgia Tech. And I was like, well, I'm happy about that because Tech's a very good program. Um, but he said, you know, so how long are you going to be there? And I was like, I haven't even had this thought. And I told her flat out, like, I haven't even thought about taking off. I haven't thought about leaving. I haven't had a call to leave. So I'm pretty happy where we're at, you know, and we just bought a house. We're about to, we just put our house. Anybody wants a house in Birmingham, Alabama, let me know. We're putting it on the market on Thursday. Just letting you know, we're not moving. We're moving in the city uh, because needs change. And so that's what we're doing. But never have any intentions to move or look around or do that kind of stuff. So it is, it's an interesting question though. And sometimes I feel kind of honored that uh, I feel almost honored if a parent asks me that question, because it seems like I'm actually doing my job and I'm actually like, I truly, you, you can tell, I truly do believe in, in the program that I'm trying to, I hate to say, but trying to sell, you know? Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Um, but I think again, longevity sticking around Tell, I mean, we tell kids all the time, make sure that if you're going to do something that, again, that, that coach might be that cherry on top, but you've got to get the education. You've got to love the girls because we might get fired and we don't know it, you know, and that's something that can happen to us any day of the week, especially at the division one level. It's a, unfortunately, it's definitely more of a business than it is at a D2 and a D3. So, yeah. Well, guys, that was that was awesome. I think if we uh, dove into it even more, we could probably get a lot more out of it. We could probably go for another hour, but I know we got some things to do. People got to teach classes. Uh, we got conference meetings and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I want to say uh, thank you to coach Vandersteen for taking a good hour, hour and a half out of his day to, to talk with us about, you know, recruiting, talk about his background, how he got to, how he's been unbelievably successful at Nico Valley. Um, so coach, thank you for doing that. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This is a, this is a fun conversation. Yeah, um, yeah, we're definitely going to be sharing this around and hopefully coaches and again, I think high school coaches are going to get a lot out of this um, and, and a lot of a lot of lessons. I think coaches in general, not just high school, but D2, D3, NAI, everybody in general can get a lot out of this. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for pulling up a, a chair to the table. Thank you for joining us today with whatever you hopefully made. You know, maybe your walk went by a little faster. Maybe you got through your run a little quicker. Maybe um, you were able to facilitate some good discussion, maybe with some other coaches along the lines with stuff. But uh, as always, if you um, found this useful, if you found it insightful, please share this um, on whatever platform you like to listen to, the Anchor, iTunes, uh, Spotify, whatever the case might be. Please share this with us, with your friends. Um, let them know what's going on. Let them know what we're trying to do. Um, exciting little fun news, by the way. The last week, we're actually ranked number 31 in the country for um, running podcasts out of 250, uh, the top 250, so we're 31st. So apparently we're doing something well. But 
Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'll say uh, thank you for listening. We'll try and do better next week and have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We were